The How To Academy podcast is the bi-weekly show from London's home of big thinking. They host exclusive in-depth interviews with world-leading scholars, artists, scientists, and entrepreneurs, exploring new ideas for understanding and changing our world. Past guests include Bill Clinton, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Elizabeth Gilbert, Daniel Kahneman, Marina Abramovich, Malcolm Gladwell, Michael Lewis, Joyce Carol Oates, Gabor Mate, Chelsea Manning, and many more. That's the How To Academy podcast, to the word, not the numeral, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Welcome to Artificiality, the podcast from Helen and Dave Edwards from Sonder Studio. We created Sonder Studio to empower humans in our complex age of machines, data, and AI. Through our strategy, innovation, and change services, we help organizations activate the collective intelligence of humans and AI. We work with leaders in tech, data, and analytics to co-create AI strategies, design innovative AI products and services, and craft change management programs that help their people succeed in an AI-powered, data-centric, complex world. We leverage the new world of foundation models, generative AI, and low-code environments to create an amplified human-machine experience centered on machines that can be a mine for our minds. You can learn more about us at GetSonder.com. This episode is the first in our summer series based on our thesis for designing AI to be a mine for our minds. We recently presented this idea for the first time at our favorite event of the year hosted by the House of Beautiful Business. We are grateful for our long-term relationship with the House and its founders, Tim Lebrecht and Till Grusha, and Head of Curation and Community, Monica Jiang. The House puts on public and corporate events that are like none you've ever experienced. We encourage everyone to consider attending a public event and bringing the House to your organization. We always meet fascinating people at the House, too many to mention in one podcast. During this episode, we highlight Hannah Critchlow and her book, Joined Up Thinking, and Michael Bungay-Stanier and his book, How to Work with Almost Anyone. Check them both out. We're big fans. Stay tuned over the summer as we will dig deeper into how to design AI to be a mind for our minds. Welcome back to Artificiality. Um, we are uh, somewhat freshly back from a, one of our favorite trips of the year to the House of Beautiful Business which is something between a conference and a festival that takes place every year or so in Portugal. And uh, it is truly mind-opening and mind-bending. And it is, we get to uh, explore uh, a wide range of ideas with really fascinating people. And uh, it's put on by people that have become good friends of ours over the last several years. Uh, this year, we uh, joined a, uh, a session to present on uh, intelligence, and it was the first time that we stood up publicly and talked about our our dream, which was the name of the uh, the festival this year, our dream for the future of artificial intelligence, which we've dubbed a mind for our minds. Let's talk a little bit about why we call it that. There's a story there. There is a story there. So the story, our metaphor started uh, in some ways uh, back in the late 1970s. 
uh, when Scientific American published an article about research that compared the efficiency of various species and the efficiency of movement of these species. And when you look at humans on our own, we're kind of middle of the pack, nothing remarkable in terms of our efficiency of movement. But the researchers in a stroke of metaphorical genius included also a uh, research that showed um, the efficiency of humans on a bicycle. And when a human uses that simple tool of a bicycle, we're as efficient as a condor. And it's an extraordinary improvement and change. Now that research got picked up and was formed into a metaphor originally by Steve Jobs, who starting somewhere in the early 80s, started talking about computer as being the, the greatest tool ever created and he described it as a bicycle for our minds because he thought that using a computer would allow our minds to soar just like the bicycle allowed the human to move so efficiently. And that metaphor worked for quite a while. You know, it's worked for probably 40 years. But for us, the, the metaphor is changing because computers are no longer tools that we can direct, that we can steer, that we can speed up and slow down. Um, the, we, the old world of computers were, we gave it rules and it gave us back data. And now we're in a world, world where we give the computer data and it gives us back rules. These computers are now able to generate things on their own. They're able to seek objectives. They're able to, and sometimes take action and have agency of themselves. And so for us, we think of them metaphorically as an AI mind for our minds. And the important part there is not just that we think of it as an AI mind, but there's two really key words in that phrase, for our minds. First one's important because we want the AI to be working for us, not the other way around, which is in a lot of ways the way we participate with big tech today. Our usage, our data feeds their AI to make it better and, and improve it. And the second word's important, our minds, because we do think that it should be something that works for everyone, not just the select few. But we, we presented this idea for the first time publicly, and uh, what did you think the response was? I think it got people thinking. Um, there's nothing like a metaphor to, uh, to get people thinking, um, because you bring along so many different ideas and concepts with, with the metaphor. And um, and it's it's a deep metaphor because it goes right through from, uh, you know, a different way of using um, simple computing tools uh, through to you know you can take it as far as you want. You can go to consciousness if you if you want to talk about conscious machines. But I think where it really stands is and and what the way that um, uh, the, the the, the questions from the and the discussion at, at the panel level was, okay, so what are what what are these what are the design principles that are different when you think about AI as a mind, and uh, you know one of the things that's changed so much this year with generative AI is that now everyone has has a, a, a direct experience of of artificial intelligence at quite a superior level compared to. Um, 
to to the way we've used it in the past, you know, as a data scientist building predictive models or or it sort of sits behind search or maps or what have you. It's not as direct as using a large language model, which feels uh, so um, like another person. And so people have a, 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 a good sort of grounding now of the sorts of things we've been talking about for many years, but it's that direct experience of communicating backwards and forwards with your own digital partner. Um, and I think, yeah, the, like, like any of these um, technology discussions, there's sort of the, the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, and the, 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 idea that everything that we touch here has two sides. There's a paradoxical element. The more, if we want artificial intelligence, the more useful we want it to be, the more it, it, it um, incurses on it, you know, it invades our privacy. So we have to think about something being more useful, but also what does that mean for solving issues around privacy? Um, that the more intimate it becomes, the more vulnerable that you become and the artificial intelligence doesn't become vulnerable on the other side. It's not like working with another human. The more it's there for your self-reflection and your self-determination, the more it's um, encoding your own personal values, the more it makes us individually smart, um, the, the, the more we have to think about whether we're our individual smarts are at the expense of, of collective intelligence and, and and what are the design elements that mean that we don't sort of succumb to collective stupidity, which is a lot of the, the artificial intelligence arguably has done that to us, made us less able to um, consider views outside of our own views, less able to engage in dialogue with people whose views we disagree with. There's a lot of things that, that behind the scenes, artificial intelligence has sort of been involved in. So that's sort of where we got to with that conversation. What else? Well, we framed three design principles for our mind, for our minds. Um, and the premise was to try and put some level of um, just a bit more depth around what we actually mean by it. And we talked about three things that we'd like these AI minds to help us do. So it's more about the interaction and what's possible. So the first of the three principles um, was to hope for an AI mind that could help us be more metacognitive. And to help us think about our own thinking yeah, better. To help us uh, think about our own thinking, to understand the state of our own knowledge, to know ourselves better. And this one is something that you can grasp and see that it's possible, right? It can, an AI can query you to figure out what you know. It can, it can present you with all the knowledge of the world. I would have thought it was more than data. possible. I would have thought that metacognition was like totally central to what we even get AI to do with for us now. It's just like super simple. Yes, I think you have to try to get it to be, help you be more metacognitive. Like you have to approach it with that as your own internal goal. It's not really sort of directing you to that. But it's, you can use it for it, sure. Um, and there's definitely examples we've come across where AI can you know, know you better than you know yourself. And so can it help you discover more about yourself. And that, so that, that one feels um, addressable, right, and approachable. 
We but, also have instant intuition for what the the UX experience could be sure. of that. You know, we do have enough of it already, even just simple stuff on 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 the watch, for yeah. example. You know, your smartwatch. But um, going really deep there and being able to be truly metacognitive, like really help you understand your own thinking, it has to take into account time, right? So, sure. who are you? Are you? Are you? Are you? Are you your present self or your future self right now? You know, what do you want to... It's that bringing in those sort of... We're, we're pluralistic individuals. We have multiple goals at any one time. Being able to unpick what metacognitive strategies in AI could help us um, be more skilled at so that even just resolving short and long-term goals in the moment could be super helpful. Mm-hmm. And that is... Um so that I think is, is definitely approachable. It's there. You can see how you could um, design an AI to do that. It's got its limitations, clearly, um, because... Well, manipulation would be... is clearly one of them. Sure. But also, it won't have any understanding of the thoughts in my head that I don't express to it. So there, there's some level of limitation of what it can do, but it can definitely help you be more metacognitive. So that was design principle one. The second principle was to um, have an AI that can help us be more mindful and mindful of the people around us, the world around us. And that one's a bit more dreamy in that um, you have to think about how an AI can understand your physical presence in space, what is actually around you, who are you actually with, to be able to understand the other person well enough to actually be helpful to you. But there's other things that were fascinating because you know, on our uh, on the stage with us uh, was Colin Averill, who came to talk about fungi and uh, the the intelligence of fungi, and that struck me as something that definitely an AI could help me understand a bit more, even if it's just surfacing knowledge. But you know, taking the walk that we took yesterday through the woods outside of Corvallis, um, it would be able to understand my location and what species are there and what that what that ecosystem is about and would be able to be quite helpful in, in, uh, in helping me understand these things. We also know that AI can help us understand biological systems that we don't understand. So it can actually you know, create knowledge for us as humans that we don't have. So that's possible. You know, it definitely will take um, some concerted effort to make something that can help you be more mindful and it clearly runs up against a question mark of what the business model is for someone to create that. Always one of the challenges with technology. But sometimes mindfulness is just uh, is also simple um, interpersonal skills, right? Just being able to be more um, aware of the not not even the whole environment around, but just the conversation you're having. And um, now it's fascinating. I mean, we've been as we play around more with ChatGPT and with the grouping, the the, the, the using ChatGPT in a team, it can help the whole team be more mindful of all of the other team's dynamics. And I used it recently for um, putting in a, a a a team and a problem, and putting in the strengths and weaknesses of of each of each team members. And they've volunteered those. ChatGPT actually came up with a pretty decent way of starting the conversation and of starting of starting to give you some handholds for div- divvying up the project 
Like who's going to do what? And, and the tensions that might come out of that because simple tensions like, well, this piece of work's actually quite a big chunk of work. So uh, the person who's the best at modeling, um, they obviously get, and ChatGPT says, yeah, they do the modeling, but if that's 90% of the work, then that's hardly team. So going that next level and starting to break that up a bit and having people be mindful of the fact that that some people are going to do more work than others and some people are going to understand more about it than others. And, and it almost helps you shape those roles and then be mindful of, of how you appear in that role, how you show up in that role. So I thought that's kind of a useful, really, like available now way of thinking about using generative AI for mindfulness. I like that idea. So the third design principle was to see whether it could, uh, an AI mind could help us um, be more, lead a life that's more meaningful. And this is probably the most aspirational of the three. Um, when we talk about meaning, you know, at least I tend to gravitate towards the, the definition of the philosophers like Kierkegaard, who said that you know, leading a meaningful life is about making authentic choices. And that's a tough one. You know, because you want to be able to make an authentic choice. Um, there's a question about whether uh, any form of technology, but an AI that recommends something to you, does it mean that it's still an authentic choice? Is that still a meaningful decision that you're making? Or are you following some other recommendation, whether that's from an AI or a society or a government? You know, that's sort of the, the, the concepts behind the existentialist movement. So it it's we don't know whether it's possible, but it is, you could also flip it around to the other, which is, um, as we see with generative AI, it's pretty good at coming up with new ideas that we wouldn't have thought of before. And is it possible that an AI could be designed so that it's increasing the serendipity surface of your life and providing more interesting, you know, opportunities to make choices that you wouldn't have otherwise made? And... So maybe there's something there. There's obviously the limitation that an AI will have, as I sort of talked about a little bit before, which is that it, it won't have any understanding of, of experiences, ideas, thoughts, dreams that you've had that aren't, that, that aren't digitized. It won't be able to understand the conversation that you have that isn't digitized and recorded and put on a podcast. It won't be able to understand the thoughts in your head or the, you know, the crazy idea that you had. So it won't know a lot about your life. It will know quite a lot about other things, but its ability to help you find meaning will be limited only to what it can actually reach and grasp digitally. What happens when our brains are digitally readable? Because that's coming. That's a very good question, and I have, I'm have i a bit frightened of that, so I'm not sure I really want to postulate that that's actually part of my future. You want to tune that future. out right now? Yeah. But given that how close some of that, um, you know, there, there are now, there's now a job called a, a neuromarketer. Yeah. And uh, this is exactly one of the reasons why Mind for Our Mind might sound a bit dreamy, but it's actually really practical. It's actually now that we should be talking about um, uh, what uh, and one of the reasons that 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 this neurotechnology has advanced so much is because of machine learning. So it's actually the right time to start thinking about designing things for when an AI can build 
correlates of your thoughts. Well, is it, so it's, it's theoretically possible, right? Um, and it's, we're somewhere on the technology curve of developing these things. Until we get further, far enough along to understand how they're developed, what happens to the data, how good are the predictions? How good is the analysis? Are we all just being experimented on where it's sort of picking up certain activity in our brain and going, ooh, you must like asparagus, you know? Um, you know, is it gonna have any ability to understand what the act brain activity means based on the world around you? Maybe someday if we're all wearing Vision Pros around, it'll actually have a better idea, could actually help us out. If so, that could be really remarkable. Um, but it's still a, you know, it's still a ways off. So what else from the house was exciting to you? Well, we had, there's a few things. We had um, on the stage with us as well was uh, Hannah Critchlow, who's a um, neuroscientist and science communicator out of the UK. And Hannah is great fun. Our new bestie. Enormously knowledgeable and incredibly skilled yeah. communicator. I had so much I sat there and looking at it thinking, gosh, I wish I had these the same level of communication skills in front of um, in, in front of a subject like neuroscience. Well, and speaking of great communicators, we got to see Michael Bungie Stanier again, uh, our old friend, previous podcast guest, and uh, uh, author of yet another new book. Um, and his uh, session was the first time he'd presented the thesis from his new book. Um, and it was a smash hit. Uh, you know, yet again, MBS, you know, um, creates something of extraordinary value. So I'm very excited for him. Well, the, uh, the thing that I particularly liked from his session was to take away this idea that, you know, build a two by two of the work that you find, you know, fulfillment on one axis and, um, you know, whether you're good at it on the other. And, uh, uh, you know, to be fulfilled by something and to be good at it is, you know, that top right-hand gold corner. But the other two corners on the diagonals, you know, not fulfilling but being good at it, you know, doing the books or whatever, and the other one uh, very fulfilling but not so good at it, um, really honing in on those two quadrants to um, start thinking about, you know, your career and, and the, the, the professional development that you want to undergo, plus what it means to work with someone else who uh, may be in a different quadrant or has other, you know, uh, is part of your sort of ecosystem, a part of your system. So I thought as, as usual, these simple frameworks that, that MBS can come up with and deliver with, with, um, with skill is just terrific tools for just sort of managing your day-to-day -day thinking. I guess I'll leave one last point, which is it's always good to uh, spend time with and hear from Tim, Till, and Monica, the three people who run the house, and everybody just calls them Tim, Till, and Monica. Um, they are they become good friends. They run a fantastic event. We're um, engaged to work with them on some other things as well, which is great. Um, but we encourage all of our listeners to uh, check out the House of Beautiful Business and keep a watch on future events uh, and if you have any questions about it, reach out. We love to talk about this um, this particular event and share our experiences. And also check out Hannah's book, uh, Joined Up Thinking. Yeah. It's a it's it's a very well put together um, set of research on uh, the current state of research, really in in uh, collective intelligence. Um, we have we 
we use very similar sources for understanding how we think with our bodies and we think with our extended minds, the way we use tools for our extended mind, um, our spatial reasoning, um, the, the components of groups and the best way to put groups together for uh, good collective intelligence. And has been collective intelligence is a strong theme of ours because uh, all of us have our digital partners and we don't yet have them all talking to each other, uh, nor may we, we may not want that. So um, it's very much a, Mind for Our Minds is very much a starting position. We will be um, talking about this a lot over the summer in various guises, things like agency and imagination and consciousness and expertise um, as we explore what it would what it will mean that uh, generative AI in particular um, takes our data, makes new ideas, helps us be more creative, maybe takes away jobs, maybe adds some new ones. Um, but it, we're in such a state of change right now that um, we thought that we'd just start talking about these things. Well, thanks so much for joining us. If you're interested in talking more about generative AI and Mind for Our Minds, please reach out. If you'd like us to come speak to your organization, we can do that too. You'll hear from us again very soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe on Substack or your favorite podcast platform. And please leave a positive rating or comment. Sharing your positive feedback helps us reach more people and connect them with the world's great minds. Seriously, a review on Apple Podcasts is a big deal. And if you like how we think, then contact us about our speaking and workshops and human-centered product design. You can learn more about us at GetSonder.com, and you can contact us at hello at GetSonder.com. You can learn more about making better decisions in our book, Make Better Decisions, How to Improve Your Decision-Making in the Digital Age. The book is an essential guide to practicing the cognitive skills needed for making better decisions in the age of data, algorithms, and AI. Please check it out at mbd.zone, on Amazon, bookshop.org, or place an order through your favorite local bookstore. It's